0: wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. You guys know we talk so much about entrepreneurs on this podcast, but here's what totally annoys me, but at the same <laughs> at the same time fascinates me about entrepreneurs. A lot of them sit around trying to solve problems we don't even know we have yet, and quite frankly, some of them we never will have. I mean, some of these inventions are absolute game changers that suddenly become obsolete. And I'm thinking about Palm Pilot. We all had to have one, right? And then BlackBerry comes along and everyone was like, sorry, Palm Pilot, I'm so over you. And then we know what happened to BlackBerry. But so many other ideas are totally lame. Have you ever heard of the Jupiter phone? Because I go to Consumer Electronics Show a lot. Year after year, I see some of this stuff and I think to myself, okay, this is never going to fly. Swear to God, this thing existed for like five minutes. A vaping smartphone. It was a smartphone, you could vape off it. Raise millions, doesn't exist anymore. Okay, so yeah, a lot of these fall by the wayside, but the whole sprouting an idea from the smartphone is exactly what made my guest today millions and millions of dollars. He had graduated from Yale. Okay, so we know he's already smart. This was 2004. And he was working for a nonprofit in Johannesburg, South Africa, when he saw his first smartphone, and and yeah, they were there before they were in the U.S. The phenomenon hadn't quite swept our country. And by the way, the iPhone hadn't existed yet either. But he was fascinated by this thing. And when he returned to the U.S., again, pre-iPhone, he had one of those, I call them Reese's moments, right? You put my chocolate in your peanut butter. Wait, we invented something. He thought, how about if I invented a way to order stuff like coffee and food Through my phone. Yep, Noah Glass is that guy we have to thank for the Chipotle burrito bowl you ordered online last night because I know you guys did. He's the founder of Olo. It stands for online ordering, helps more than 600 restaurant brands scale their online ordering and delivery service. But he's got a much more fascinating part of this story. Would you believe that to create this idea, he would have to rip up his acceptance letter To Harvard Business School. Oh yeah, I want to talk to Noah Glass. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Liz, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a joy to tell the story I can already tell.
0: Well, yeah. And by the way, we're so excited. We just hit a million downloads of Everyone Talks to Liz this year alone. So you're in the right place, Noah.
1: Well, congratulations to you and the team.
0: Okay, let's get to you, Because to me, this is something where I almost call it the cart before the horse. You were in Johannesburg, South Africa, working at a nonprofit, and you see people using smartphones, so they had them before we did?
1: They did, or at least I think people started to use them to get onto the Internet and sort of have them as part of everyday life of being on the Internet long before we started to use them in that way in the U.S. It's called the leapfrog effect. It's in countries where they're a little bit later to the first-generation technology, landlines, and they get a new technology like mobile towers, and they're able to then leapfrog over that first-generation technology before we even get there.
0: And then when you look at what's going on, you think to yourself, we could do this, we could do that. You go back to the States. What year was that, and what do you find?
1: So I had actually been thinking about what became Olo before my time in South Africa, and I saw how we were going to do it during my time there through the smartphone. So by 2005, I came back to the U.S., and I realized that this mobile device was going to be something that was, number one, ubiquitous, that all of us carried it around with us in our pockets, that it became something that was always on an incredibly personal device and something that would therefore have magical powers. It could enable us to order and pay ahead and get food faster at a restaurant or get food faster at a coffee shop and sort of bring some of the magic of e-commerce into that real world environment. And part of why I knew that is that I'd worked in the restaurant industry. I'd grown up in high school, back in Newton, Massachusetts, working as a pizza delivery driver. And I'd seen that there were inefficiencies on the restaurant operation side of things that a technology like this while also serving the guest, could make better for the restaurant operator. And I knew that was a win-win and something that I just had to bring to life.
0: It's hard to bring something to life when you don't really have people using the platform yet that gives it the heartbeat. Because you started this thing and you found that really people could only do text messaging, right? And so didn't you have to pivot at some point and and tell me where you were at that stage?
1: Well, the first pivot was to enable text messaging as a means of placing mobile orders. And so in the early days, coming back in 2005, it was under 5% of the US population using what we now think of as smartphones. And remember, Liz, these weren't very smartphones back then. As Mm -hmm. we think about smartphones today, they're supercomputers relative to what we had then. Mobile wireless technology was very slow, very clunky. So we had to build something that at least everybody could try, and it could demonstrate this ability to order and pay ahead and get food faster at a coffee shop or a restaurant. And so we saw text messaging as a way to do that. It was very in vogue, people knew how to do it. And it was being used for communications, it was not really being used for commerce. And I think that was one of the most interesting things about what Olo did in those early days, was show that the mobile device, even with the basic technology of text messaging, could become a commerce device.
0: I, I, It's amazing now because we all do it. I'm trying to remember the first time I ordered something through my phone. And I, I'm, knowing me, because I'm all spilchus and I get nervous and anxious, and I'm like, did it go through? I, I act like a grandma sometimes about this. Did you hear that I don't want the onions? Uh, but I want to back up a little bit to the Harvard Business School part of this. So you had applied and you got accepted, who made you tear up the sheet? Who made you uh, think twice about going and then saying, you know what, I am going to rip up my acceptance letter?
1: Well, I felt very grateful in 2003, graduating from Yale to know that I had an acceptance into Harvard Business School, but it was with a two-year deferral. So they basically said, we know we want you, but go and work for two years, get some real world experience, and then you can come back in 2005. Okay. And so this was the, the time period that I then had my first real job working at Endeavor Global, which is really about spreading entrepreneurship in emerging markets all around the world. And part of that was wanting to travel a little bit. Part of that was the nonprofit mission of believing that entrepreneurship was more than just a U.S. phenomenon and really should be an engine of growth for economies all around the world. And part of it was that I knew in my heart of hearts that I was an entrepreneur. And so when I had this idea and then I saw the means through which to bring this idea to life in the smartphone, it became very clear to me that I had to pursue this. There was gonna be exactly one time in human history when smartphones became ubiquitous and I wanted to be there when that happened with Ah, this idea.
0: Okay. So I took
1: this idea and a very, very rudimentary prototype of how it would work to someone who had really become my mentor at the time Uh, a man by the name of David Frankel. Um, And David Frankel had been a very successful entrepreneur in his own right, had started the largest internet service provider in sub-Saharan Africa. And then he had gone on to Harvard Business School. And I'd met him through that Endeavor network. And I I showed him this prototype and I said, you know, I think there's something there. and I think this is a once in a world history kind of opportunity. And I want to be the person to bring it to life. And I said, you know, what is your advice to me? I'm going to Harvard Business School next year, and yet I have this exciting idea. And David said, look, I will back you on two conditions. One, you quit your job at Endeavor, and two, you withdraw your admission from Harvard Business School.
0: Don't just say I'll
1: come (laughs) the next year. Tell them that you're not coming. If you're able to show me that you have such conviction in this idea that you're willing to burn the boats and have this as your only option going forward, then I will back you. And that was such a gift, such clarity for me at that moment in life, at the age of, I think, 23, 24. I was right on the cusp of that birthday to hear from someone who I respected so much, I'm willing to back you if you're really willing to go for this as your only path forward and you have to make it
0: work. Oh my God, wait, wait, wait. This is so amazing to me. So this dude had gone... To Harvard Business School. And you know, something tells me he knew. Eh, It's the old what they don't teach you in Harvard Business School. We have so many unbelievably successful people on this podcast who never got their MBA, who never. I mean, when I'm thinking of Baked by Melissa, she has the tiny little cupcakes, which I mean, forget it. She's just a magnate now. Uh, And she was fired from her advertising job. The same day she was fired, she started baking those cupcakes and she had her first order by the next night and she didn't go to get her MBA and she is a powerhouse in the world of whatever you call cupcakes. You know, she's, a, she's just a gigantic magnate when it comes to this. And so I, that must have still been a very nerve wracking decision though, Noah.
1: It was and it wasn't. It was definitely something that just felt right in my soul and in the moment. I don't want to say that immediately I said, I'll do it. I will withdraw and I will quit my job. But it was pretty immediate in the grand scheme of things. I just knew that I had to pursue this. It just it, it would be one of those things that on my deathbed I would look back and regret if I didn't jump at the opportunity. Mm. And I figured, hey, I can reapply to business school if things don't work out. And this will be at the worst, you know, a four-year tour of duty in entrepreneurship, even if it doesn't work out, you know, it's a long career ahead. And here we are 17 and a half years later.
0: And what a journey it has been. So you start with the rudimentary plan. Mr. Frankel says, I'll give you half a million. Let's start this thing. You put it together. You're in the States. And again, you realize you had started what? B2C, which is business to customer. Direct. Mm -hmm. And people just didn't have smartphones at that point, at least on a grander scale. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because, for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands. And I saw an ad for masterclass, and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who, teach you things. With MasterClass you can learn from the best to become your best. MasterClass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with MasterClass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say I want to learn about business and then another where you say I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no food. Fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. So let's talk about the moment where you realized, oh, God, this this might not work in its current form because I want our listeners to understand how difficult the growth, the birth and the growth of a business really is.
1: Well, we had some early success that was really promising and made us think maybe we were going to be able to scale in this business-to-consumer format. I think today we would call that a restaurant delivery or restaurant ordering marketplace Mm -hmm. version of Olo. Uh, We had some great press early on. We had people see us in different parts of the country and pull us into different markets that we weren't even actively promoting in. And that was an important part of the story later on, really in 2008 and 2009 and the Great Recession and wondering, can this team that has been at it for, at that point, three, four years Mm -hmm. as this mighty team of 12 continue on in this form? Or do we need to make some changes so that even if we can't raise another funding round to propel the growth of the company, we can make it on our own. We can control our own destiny. And that's exactly what we decided to do in 2009. We looked at some of those other markets that were restaurants who had seen the technology and got excited about the technology and promoting it to their restaurant guests. So we weren't doing the advertising, it was the restaurants paying us to use the technology and promoting to their restaurant Uh, guests. Okay, Where we saw, Eureka, here's a model that works. We're not paying a huge sum of money to acquire the guests. The restaurant is doing that work on our behalf and we're monetizing in a different way. We're charging the restaurant to use the software as their technology platform. And that really changed us from B2C, business to consumer, to B2B or business to business. I guess technically business to business to consumer because it ultimately does reach that end restaurant guest. But that was a huge shift in the company. It enabled us to really tighten up the spending we were doing on advertising to restaurant guests mm-hmm. focus that budget on, on winning more restaurant, right. restaurants themselves. And that truly made all the difference. We got many years later in 2012 to profitability as this mighty team of 12. And of course, by then, Liz, the market had really caught up to the idea. iPhone had launched, Android had launched, everybody did have a smartphone. Restaurants understood when they looked at things like Uber that this idea of on-demand services was going to be a meaningful idea that was gonna transform this industry too, all of a sudden our phone was ringing off the hook and here we were at another key moment, another key inflection point where we knew that the team of 12, profitable though we were, could never scale to reach all the demand that was out there unless we went out and raised another funding round and grew the business to scale to that opportunity.
0: That's not an easy thing to do. I mean, We've had people on who got rejected 100 times, 140 times. It's, it's a very hard thing. Sounds like, though, you were already known in an industry. You had some customers. Tell me about the moment you landed your first really big customer. Who was it and what was that like?
1: I think the first really exciting moment was in late 2009. We'd made this change over to being focused on b2b we are the software platform powering the restaurant's own app website to let their restaurant guests order and pay ahead and get their food faster and we just so happened to start working with the five guys franchisees in new york city sure who had hugely long lines and still do and that value proposition of you can order ahead and then skip the line was so compelling to both the restaurant guest and to the restaurant operator. The guest got that better experience of not having to wait in line behind others and then wait for their custom burger to be cooked. And the restaurant operator got to do more throughput capacity. They got to do more business in the same amount of time because they could take orders from the person standing in front of them in line and they could take the orders that were coming in online through our platform. So Five Guys at the time was the fastest growing restaurant brand in the history of the restaurant industry, starting to franchise and just exploding all around the country. And we won that business. And it was part of this rising tide of fast casual restaurants that were able to offer really high quality food, personalized, customized to the guest. And with our technology, do that as conveniently as fast food restaurants could prepare food and offer the food because you wouldn't have to wait for the line sure. you wouldn't have to wait for the food to be prepared so it just met this great market demand in this really hot segment of the industry and soon enough we were signing up other fast casual restaurants like sweet green and shake shack and wing stop and on and on and on and then you know our credibility grew our brand grew and Pretty soon you were seeing casual dining brands saying we need to do this and then uh, family style brands saying we need to do this and then coffee and snack. And then most recently, the fast food QSR brand saying we need to be in this game, too. We're no longer (laughs) the fastest option if you don't have to wait or you don't even have to go to the restaurant. Now food can be delivered to you. We need to be able to do that, too. And they started to call Olo as well.
0: Tell me about the tougher times. We're hearing about this great climb and this great success. I need to hear and our listeners want to hear the part where you were working hundreds of hours a week, you know, or there were some dark moments I would possibly imagine. Can you articulate some of those?
1: Yeah, there were very dark moments in the early days before we started to be recognized and before we even knew were we going to be able to sign even one restaurant to the platform. Um, And I remember, you know, those early days, walking the streets of New York, walking into restaurants, trying to get in front of restaurant owners, managers, decision makers, to convince them that this wasn't just vaporware, this was actually a real solution. And take some time out of your busy day to let me do a demo so you can see it working. And here's why it would be meaningful to you. It just felt like so ethereal to them at that point. It didn't feel like a real business tool. And then I also remember 2008 and nine and just these very difficult times when we were still in this model of, we are business to consumer. We have to spend, spend, spend to acquire restaurant guests and then hope that we make enough on average from each of those guests to compensate for what it cost to acquire them onto the platform. And knowing that that meant we were gonna be burning through the remaining capital in the bank. And we just didn't know, were we gonna be able to do that and still have another funding round ahead of us? Those were some dark days. And I remember that small team of 12, this mighty group that stuck together from 2005 through 2012, the first really seven, actually into 2013, eight years of the business, mm. The the journey song Don't Stop Believing" became our anthem, and mm. we would sing that song at the top of our lungs in downtown karaoke bars just to <laughs> kind of rally the, the spirit of, of the team and know that we could pull together. And if we kept focusing on the things that were working, the little green shoots of hope and celebrating those wins with that kind of camaraderie, We were going to pull through this together and good things would happen. It was inevitable. We knew that in the bottom of our hearts. We just needed to stay alive and keep the progress going for long enough.
0: You know what's amazing to me? That you fast forward to 2020 and the pandemic. Olo is the reason that some of these restaurants were even able to survive right? Because they were able to at least pivot to an online ordering system because everybody had to be shut down for such a dramatic amount of time in 2020. What were some of the stories you were hearing at the time from your clients and customers? And was there a rush to get your services on board?
1: It was a really devastating time for the restaurant industry. And I would join these conference calls of restaurant leaders just openly sharing with one another every strategy they were using that was helping them to get by from week to week. Mm. And one of those strategies that emerged was digital ordering for contactless pickup and for delivery. Contactless pickup means I can't even go into the restaurant, into the dining room, but I can show up and have the order handed off to me by Uh, a restaurant staff member in the safety of my car without going through a drive-through. Many of these restaurants, remember, don't have drive-throughs, but that idea of curbside pickup and also delivery drivers taking the food to the guest instead of the guest coming to the food, these were things that really were lifelines for restaurants throughout all of COVID. And it was so meaningful when we brought our community back together in April of this year. And we have this customer event, and I I would sit next to people who I'd known for years, and they would just start crying and say, you know, you were our lifeline. You helped us to get through this. This was an existential threat to our restaurant brand, to our industry. We will always be grateful to Olo for helping us get through. Olo is, of course, not alone in that. There were a lot of different providers that helped restaurants manage through the duress of COVID and staffing during COVID and keeping their business going during COVID, but it really hit home. And it, I'll tell you, it sort of, for me, has become this sense of mission and purpose and meaning in the work that we do. Why I've chosen to spend 17 and a half years doing this and why I'd like to do this for the rest of my career, if given the opportunity, is I really derive a lot of meaning out of it. I know that to a person on Timolo. We all feel that way. We love restaurants. We love what restaurants represent. We love all of the different stakeholders of restaurants, from restaurant guests to restaurant workers. And the ability to help this industry not just survive, but thrive, was so meaningful to us during COVID and continues to be incredibly meaningful to us today. This has become a mission-critical platform for the industry that we love.
0: Are those original 12 still with you guys?
1: Um, not all of them, but nearly all of them are. And what has been the greatest joy from a, a team perspective for me is to watch those people elevate to leaders within the company, within the larger company, now running divisions of a hundred people. Uh, some of them, <laughs> and thinking about that was the person whose first job out of college, you know, was working customer support for Olo, and then they've just elevated throughout the company and really you know do a, an incredible job and are they're true missionaries they're they're not mercenaries they come to this they've stayed at this because they believe in the work that we're doing and they believe that it has just a great benefit that we can do good while we do well that's such a special part of working in technology, but for a specific industry that has that
0: level of meaning for you. Okay. As we finish up, you've watched this industry and been part of the anthropomorphized, wait, that's the wrong word. (laughs) I'm trying to throw out an SAT word and it's not working. The morphing into one business and then you had to change and you had to morph into something else. What is the next phase of restaurant delivery and ordering?
1: I truly believe that as long as we've been at this and as far as we've come, we are super, super early in our journey and the restaurant industry that we serve is super early in its digital transformation. So if you look across the entire industry, it's only about 15% of all restaurant orders that are placed through a digital channel. So that's what we do. It's digital takeout, digital delivery. Now there's starting to be digital on-premise, people ordering through kiosks at restaurants through our platform, people ordering through QR codes on the table through our platform. We're starting to see digital show up in drive-through and making that experience better, again, for both the guest and for the restaurant operator. And I believe it's the destiny of this industry, this trillion dollar industry, to be 100% digital. I think that will best serve guests, best serve restaurant operators and all restaurant stakeholders. And I think that once we get there and along that journey, restaurants will understand guests and what they like and dislike and who they are and how valuable they are to the restaurant so much better than they do today. Nearly every restaurant transaction today is still a nameless, faceless transaction. They don't know, Liz, if it's your hundredth time into their restaurant, Or your first time in their restaurant and the ability to give the restaurant that level of data to say liz is one of your best customers and here's exactly what she likes here's what she's never tried before but other people like her really like and so maybe give her a free sample of this because you know it'll be something that will delight her make her feel special and it may just create another reason for her to come in for that 101st time i think that is such an exciting idea it's part of What we have started to talk about is our mission to help restaurants make every guest feel like a regular. You know, we all have restaurants that we go to that are maybe smaller restaurants where we have that special connection and feel like they know us and we feel cherished and like we're part of that community. I want restaurant guests to feel that way at every restaurant Mm -hmm. and I want restaurants to be able to treat their customers as guests and as regulars. And I think that is what Olo's long-term mission is and what we're so passionate about bringing about.
0: Well, I speak from experience. I don't care if they're lying or faking it. When I walk in and they say, "Oh, Miss it's so great to have you back again." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I'm a regular because I really I order sushi from the same place almost every Sunday and they don't care who I am. They're just like, "What do you want next?" Instead of saying, oh, hi, I mean, you know, I agree with you. I think that there is a digital way to make the experience feel much less cold and technological, which in a way is kind of strange to even be able to say that. And by the way, when you talk free samples, now you're talking my language. Noah, good luck to you guys and the whole team at OLA. What a wonderful story.
1: Liz, thank you so much. We so appreciate being with you
0: take good care thank you thank you very much you guys the qr codes on the table during the pandemic that that is the kind of technology that sprouted up you know shakespeare says it's an ill wind that blows no good meaning it's got to be really bad if nothing good comes from it there are some good things that sprouted up and grew from the pandemic and these technological advances that kept Both big restaurant chains and the little guys in business. That is a gift and a blessing. And you guys are my blessing. I cannot thank you enough. When I did hear that we finally passed 1 million downloads, can I admit this? I started to cry. I did. Everyone was like, what's wrong with her? Let me tell you, talk about a family. The Fox News Podcasts team is so great. You walk in and you're like, why are you guys so nice? Why are you so nice to me? (laughs) Because in news, we're like blood dripping from our jaws. What a great team. And I can thank all of you and all of them for making us this unbelievable success. So please keep keep tuning in. We so appreciate it. And I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Biz if you're not sick of me want to listen ad-free you can do it with a fox news podcasts plus subscription on apple podcasts and then amazon prime members you can listen to this show ad-free on the amazon music app
1: the fox news rundown a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else your daily dose of news twice a day featuring insight from top newsmakers reporters and fox news contributors
0: listen and subscribe
1: now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com